sorry guys let's uh you know screw me the last two weeks it'll come back to haunt you wrestling should be fun should be fun wrestling should be fun Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, episode 57. And I'm your host today, JCH. I'm joined by con man, big laddie cool, Matt Connolly. Matt, how are you doing? I'm uh, I'm good. Uh, I usually have something interesting to say. Well, debatably interesting, but today I've, there's nothing coming to mind, actually. But yeah, I am good. You'll be interested to know that me, as a complete stat nerd who was procrastinating earlier, has now got a list of appearances. And this is your 38th appearance on the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, not counting shot masterminds. So that's a full season. <laughs> I'll yeah. take that. I'll take You're, that. You are the second most capped uh, Wrestling Should Be Fun member. Fantastic. And you're joined by... The most capped wrestling to be fun member and our lord and founder, the boss, Ross Casey. Ross, episode 49 for you. One short of a milestone. Oh, next week's a big one. What should we do? <laughs> uh, so you have to lead us out, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely lead us out. Invincible. 49, <laughs> invincible, mate. <laughs> yeah, glad to be back on. Obviously, we've just come off the back of a three-day weekend for some of us. Wrestling should be fun. Uh, roster members, others, just the one day, like like uh, like yourselves. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Um, all kinds of feelings were had on that weekend for me personally. Yeah, I'm really excited to get talking to you guys about the, the days I missed and uh, just uh, yeah, I've seen sort of what went down, but I'm interested to see how it went down and uh, and what happened. Uh, myself, my 17th appearance. You know, quite happy after sort of been a mid mid-season re-signing after sort of leaving the team for a while. So, you know, racking up the uh, appearances now, chasing down the uh, the Van Dams and the Brummets of this world. Yeah, can we get uh, a table? What's the table then? The top, yeah, is it, so, is it a top six? We've got a top six. So yeah, there's six with over 10 appearances. Right. Uh, Shafi has 12, the Sultan, and 12 memorable ones, to be fair. Impact player. <laughs> uh, myself has been my 17th appearance. Don Van Dam, who appeared on the first 16 episodes, which was the longest streak from the start. He's on 28, not been around available as much the uh, last couple of months, sadly. Hang on, hang on. So, so he had, he's gone 40 shows where he's appeared on 12? Yeah. Wow, Dom. Some <laughs> serious injury issues for Dom. <laughs> <laughs> he started so brightly. <laughs> uh, which is very on trend for a wrestling right now. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Bramit on 36. So, yeah, yourself, Con Mammoth, is your 38th, and then Ross leading the way with uh, his 49th appearance. Uh, I, I found it interesting because I like stats and I'm a nerd, so I don't know if anyone else does. No, I like that. I like that. It's good to know. Uh, so, a couple of shout outs to the other people who have appeared. You've got Josh, Phil, Roe, Kyle, and, and Mitch. I didn't give caps to, to the likes of Gene Money and Warren Banks and Hate <laughs> Many Fairs. I thought they were more like guests rather than. Weeter still without a cap then. Weeter, yeah, he, no cap for Weeter. <laughs> Just like England. The second snub of his cap career. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so it's a busy week for a weekend of wrestling for us. Ross, do we have a call up sheet today? We do. We've got, um, I think, three in total. So let's, let's crack on with a call up sheet. 
Right, okay. First up, we've got a man from Cleveland, Ohio, who ricocheting page is from upstate, as I now know, because Dom was <laughs> screaming, fuck Ohio to him for most of his uh, first round match. <laughs> <laughs> it's Steve Mox. He also goes by Sober Steve Mox. And it's quite a lovely little profile here. It's an honour of John Moxley. He's an inspiration to finally say, fuck alcohol and begin my sober journey. I've decided to make all my social media at Sober Steve Mox. Well, that is nice. And isn't Moxley an Ohio guy as well? Moxley's Cincinnati, yeah, that's Ohio. Um, yeah. B. Wardlow's also Ohio. The Miz. The Miz is Ohio. Dolph Ziggler. Seth Rollins. No, he's Iowa. He's Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Oh, I've screwed that. No, Alexa Bliss. <laughs> Alexa Bliss is Ohio. I think Alexa Bliss is Ohio, yeah. I remember doing the OHIO chant on an episode of Raw once. It's not a bad stable, that is it? Stick them all with our man. That's yeah. a killer stable. It's modern day straight-edge society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mox and Steve Mox, the tag team. Nice. Yeah. Yes. I reckon that they're being booked strong, you know. They're going to be baby faces, you know. They've got the, they've got the heartfelt story. Yeah. Yeah, it's all built in. Thanks very much for your call-up, Steve. Uh, next up, we've got the UK kid. Sometimes he does videos on wrestling figures. Sometimes I post my opinions on wrestling or, or politics or whatever I feel like. Well, I feel like he's got to be, uh, if he's in a uh, into his wrestling figures videos, he sets up to be in a nice trios team with uh, big Dave Wheater yeah. and, and our boy Charlie. Yes, of course. And also... The Sultan. Yeah, the yeah, Sultan. I... No, the Sultan's a solo act. <laughs> that's true. That is true. I did think of him, but yeah, he doesn't want no part of that. <laughs> well, I think that's the first feud then. I yeah. think the UK kid is is the kid. And in this scenario, Sultan can act as the Razor Ramon. Maybe put him over. Maybe put the UK kid over early doors. I yeah. think I think the Sultan's not putting anyone over. He'll <laughs> be booked to put him no. over and he's going to go Vader Osprey on us or something. <laughs> Do you not remember when he put TK over in Chuck Mastermind? <laughs> not willingly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, as he's called, the UK kid. And he's into his figures. It has to be a feud with the Sultan, but based upon the much uh, vaunched uh, one, two, three kid figure, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Excellent. Maybe you can wear it like Logan Paul then. <laughs> Amazing. And last but not least, we've got Hendrix is God slash David McKenzie. He's a lefty. He's a gooner. He plays guitar. He's a wrestling fan. And he has a link to his band on Spotify, which I'll give a little plug to. Uh, they're called Best Behaviour. Best Behaviour. I think he's a... Um... Clearly a big uh, Michael Hayes fan. Oh, yeah. That's the right name, isn't it? Is he not Doc Hendricks? He is, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, maybe he's playing the, uh, he's rewritten, best behaviour of rewritten the uh, Freebirds music. Oh, hello. And when Hendrix is, Doc Hendricks are coming to the ring, they're playing like Rancid in the background of uh, Double or Nothing. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, Tony Khan's putting his money in his pocket for the soundtrack again. <laughs> get, that, get that royalty's best behaviour. 
<laughs> Best behavior sounds to me like something that a heel would call themselves, even though the they aren't on their best behavior, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So Baron Corbin, he's like, I'm on my best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst he's like cheating in the background. <laughs> so I quite like the, the idea of him as a uh, heel, personally. And he plays the music. It all ties into a bit of Walk With Hendrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Three nice and easy ones for the call-up sheet. Um, hope everyone was happy with them. Let's move on to what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Yeah. And obviously there's been a lot going on. Like last week, really enjoyed the episode with... Dom and Ross and Warren Banks previewing Strong Style. Since that, or before that, really, because we uh, it was the morning before, I doubt anyone had had a chance to, to really watch the whole thing. We've had, in this last week, we've had Double or Nothing. We've had big developments on Dynamite, on Rampage. We've had Hell in a Cell. There was an NXT show. Obviously, the roundtable we'll get to with uh, with Strong Style, so we'll, we'll keep that back for now. Uh, what you guys been uh, anything that really stands out to you from any of those shows or anything particular you guys want to talk about can I go in hot with uh, some Hell in the Cell takes you can I don't have many because I only watch that main event but bloody hell what a match and also I mean Ross you've seen it as well right I'm guessing yeah I watched the whole show last night yeah Right, so you'll probably have a better idea than me even watching the whole show. Uh, James, I'm guessing you haven't seen it. No, but I have listened to a podcast talking about it. All right, okay. So you got some context. I mean, the Cody injury obviously looks horrific. And I don't know how much pain the guy was in. I'd imagine buckets. But it just made the match so much more compelling. And I think Ross said before we went on that that is basically what uh, Meltzer's hinted at in why it was such a great match. And I actually think for a change, Meltzer's right. Um, it's, and, and I mean that with respect. Some of his opinions aren't in line with mine. But um, I mean, yeah, like it's so compelling watching uh, a man that you think is like so battered up, just getting smashed about. And all the spots meant something. There were callbacks. There was all the things that people reference in those great matches that we've had in NXT with Champa Gagano and in AEW with countless feuds where there's little callbacks to things that have happened. And I think one of the biggest pops this year came when Cody hit the pedigree on Seth Rollins. I mean, it's about moments we've said this before, and that will stick with me. There were so many in the match, but that in particular just framed brilliantly. And I've just got loads of praise for it. And the final point I'll make on it is everyone's going to give Cody all the praise, and rightly so. But Seth Rollins is maybe the best wrestler on the planet. He made this match fantastic. Oh, Ross, have you got similar love for it? Yeah, massive, massive love for it. Touched on Seth Rollins, because obviously all the talk is about Cody for going through the, the pain barrier and gritting his teeth for even stepping foot in the ring. Whether it was the right thing for him to do, possibly not. But Cody at the moment is arguably the biggest babyface in wrestling, I would argue. <laughs> and yeah. this just cements it even more. Um, he's just been unbelievable as a babyface. And he's been breaking his body in AEW. And now he's been breaking his body in the WWE. But Seth Rollins, this thing that he's starting to do where he's trying to be like mind gaming people 
Obviously, he did it at the Rumble with the old Shield outfit that he put on. And then he did it to Cody by having his dad's ex-WWF um, outfit on. Like The little touches like that really add to the character that uh, Seth Rollins is. And whilst there's a little part of me that's like, should Cody have lost that match? Because he was in such detriment and Seth has lost now three in a row. But I will always support a babyface coming out on top. So I'm a bit torn on it. How about you two? Well, I mean, from my point of view, it's Seth Rollins, so it doesn't really matter how many L's he takes. And I know other people are going to disagree and say, at some point, you've got to pick up some victories and stuff. But I feel like, and again, I've been a pay-per-view man rather than going through the weekly episodes all the time. From my point of view, Seth doesn't feel like his stars diminish from this. Like, all he needs to do is come out next week and wreck a guy, and he's exactly right back where he was before. Yeah. Um, he just blows me away. Like you said, the character work has gone to another level. Like, he's not the guy like he was when he won that belt and had a great run in, was it 20... 20- 14, 13, when he did his name. Yeah. I mean, it was so long ago. But but this is probably, I would say, without the company being as built around him, but they still see him as a key player and he's delivering even more now because he's ha- it's a harder job to do when you're not the guy and you've got to make everyone and shine them up. And he can do it as the face like he did with Roman for that short-term feud. Or he can go and do it with Cody over the space of three months, be completely believable, and then put on banger after banger after banger. I mean... It's not a hot take, but he is genuinely fantastic and able to go into that WWE style and still deliver the matches we want. I would say from my point of view, I think you were hiding, Ross, the match with Edge last year in Hell in a Cell was arguably match of the year in WWE. This one will be very hard to beat in WWE again. Another stipulation match, another match with a long-term feud with a big payoff in a big stipulation match. It's everything that we want as fans and he's delivering it. He should get all the praise. As much as Cody deserves some, Seth should be getting all the praise from this. Not only that, but both this match and the Edge Hell in a Cell match now get rid of the stink of his um, Fiend one as well, right? Completely, yeah, completely. So who's they got? Obviously, it looks like Cody's going to be gone for a while, you assume. He's not going to be wrestling with a torn pet every week. Who's the big baby faces left? Because there's a Roman, I know he's not a baby face, off a bit at the moment as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a real problem. I think I read, is it four to six months, potentially, Cody's out for? Wow. I didn't know it was that um, severe. I listened to you earlier, Credit Post Wrestling. Uh, they said, it, like, the scene when he came back at the Rumble, that was from a torn peck, and he came back in about four months, and that was sort of considered ridiculous. Yeah. That quickly. Yeah, the, the old uh, Super Cena. <laughs> yeah. In terms of who the baby faces are, like, you definitely do have some really good baby faces, and... The reaction that a lot of the babyfaces got in Chicago last night was brilliant. A lot of the time, the worst thing about WWE pay-per-views for me are the lack of audience participation. They just kind of sit on their hands, maybe make a bit of noise for a table bump or a sound bite or whatever it may be. But the crowd were with these matches the whole way through. And you had huge babyface pops for Bobby Lashley, huge babyface pops for Balor and Styles in their match as well. So you do have, obviously, some great deal of talent, but you're going to have to start to move people from the mid-card up to the, the top, I guess, very, very soon. And what's the situation with, like, the, the title? Because, obviously, Roman's got both the belts, correct? Correct, yeah. What's his situation? Is he just not on the show for a bit? I think that's the situation, yeah. Um, but, obviously, we're, we're building up to Money in the Bank now, so it's almost like all the focus goes on everyone trying to enter the match, I guess, for qualifying matches and what have you. So I guess the chase is the story now. 
I was was wondering if um, I'm not necessarily for money in the bank, but I was wondering what the situation with Brock is, whether he's a phone call away at this point with the injuries they have. I, I know nothing and I've read nothing, but uh, mm. it does feel like maybe one name needs to come in because I don't think anyone, even someone who's anti-WE, wouldn't argue that the talent's there. But it's like what you said, Ross. Some of them maybe aren't positioned as the guy right now, and that's where they're lacking. Yeah, so because yeah. like AJ, Edge, huge stars, right? Put them in the title picture and, and they feel like a main eventer, don't they? Yeah. But it's just been a long time since they have been in it, I guess. Less so with Edge. They've probably still got five or six former world champions knocking around the roster if we went through it. You know what I mean? The, the talent's there. It's just, yeah, it's just whether the storyline's be it and, yeah. and who to put there. I know that plans, I think, are for Reigns to face Riddle and Orton separately in the next few months. Would make sense. But yeah, I was chatting with Phil offline and the chat from him was that he doesn't really watch the WWE pay-per-views, but he enters the Pickhams. Like, so he saw the card and he was quite surprised at the lack of star power. And mm. whilst I agreed with him in terms of positioning, the actual standard of wrestling throughout the whole pay-per-view was decent. And as I said, I loved the crowd reaction for pretty much everything, even like uh, what seems like a bit of a throwaway match between Omos and MVP against Lashley. Like, honestly, if you get the chance to watch it, the crowd go crazy for the free camp. Absolutely, man. <laughs> Was there any other uh, match that really stood out to you, Ross? I heard um, a lot of people have been really uh, positive about the women's triple threat. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. So that book ended the show. They opened and then Cody and um, Seth finished. And yeah, it was just exactly what you would expect from a match between Bianca, Asuka and Becky Lynch. All three, very, very good. All three got good chemistry together. Arguably Becky's best two opponents. Is that too far of a stretch? I mean, I'm always going to vouch for Charlotte, but I don't think you're unfair. Um, no, I, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree from what I've seen of Becky's, i uh, say Becky and Bianca at WrestleMania, I think it was, was very good. Yeah. And I think Asuka's probably their best female wrestler. So I think she'd have good matches with, with all of them. <laughs> was it... Um, did Becky Asuka once wrestled at the Rumble, right? A few years back. Yeah, yeah. So and that Asuka was a really won. good match from memory. Yeah, that was the one where um, Asuka made a tap. Yeah. And then she went on to win the Rumble later on. Yeah, I remember that being really good. Throw out the Rumble. Liv Morgan, I think. <laughs> <laughs> she took someone... Lana. Was it Lana? I think it was Lana, yeah. Lana had a little ropey knee because Nia Jax just smashed her up, I think. Yeah. And then Finley let her in because she's Irish. Yeah, <laughs> long term, long term storytelling there. <laughs> but um, obviously, this is like a point that does come up a lot. But I wanted to get your take, Ross, as somebody who's more committed to it than me. You made the point earlier about the in-ring action still being good, and I am at these days much more of a check the results and then watch the pay-per-views with WWE. I haven't got around to watching all of this. So I only had time to watch one. Yeah. But in terms of in-ring action, you've got to go back quite far to have a stinker with WWE, right? Yeah, I think it's probably. Survivor Series, isn't it? This one that had the build of like a week and yeah, it was just naff. Yeah, I'd probably say Survivor Series was the last naff one. Yeah, and like, as we said, in the, when we did the podcast on them, both WrestleMania and the Saudi show this year, both massively over-delivered, arguably, in terms of what mm. the cards were. Agreed. What about Double or Nothing, James? You're um, obviously someone who is a lot more in line with AEW than WWE. What was your kind of top line takes? So it's a bit weird. So obviously the pay-per-view was about six hours and I was going off on a golf week 
So I, I woke up and the main event was just starting. So I watched that half <laughs> asleep. Uh, I, I don't really feel... But I sort of went back and started the pay-per-view again, but I literally haven't needed time. Then Dynamite was on. So I've literally watched most of the pay-per-view, which I bought, so I should finish watching that, about three quarters of Dynamite and then about half of Rampage because things kept happening. <laughs> Way to see stuff on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've been a bit like discombobulated this week because I was out, out playing golf twice a day, so I didn't really get much time to see much wrestling. And then when I did, I was watching live stuff, which I always prefer anyway. So, um... Yeah, I mean, I'd love, obviously, well, it went from sort of the love of the of sort of Punk winning the belt to him having to relinquish, well, take some time off, not relinquish it within about three days of me noticing. So that's sort of a bit, bit bittersweet, especially if he got injured jumping into the crowd. That's a heartbreaker. <laughs> Ross, Ross, how much do you love that they're going to have an interim champion? Oh, I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to get it in. Because I think last time it came up on this podcast, it was like a 10 minute discussion about them doing it with the other belt. So, yeah, uh, like I personally just don't get it. But if he's going to be back fairly soon, then I think that's fine. But if it's going to be kind of Cody amount of time that that is away for, for me personally, I just like it kind of takes away like the prestige of the person that holds it for that six months, if that makes sense. Yeah, but they aren't the champion. You tell that to Goto when he holds that high. <laughs> I, I like it I quite like the interim champion uh, the sort of, we're conditioned to accept vacant as a champion <laughs> so because because you know that's the way WWF did it or I'm guessing other companies this is doing something different more like in line with MMA or boxing yeah and it's a different way of presenting it and I think I, I like I like it I, prefer, I think I prefer it than just vacate it because you've told this story to get him there I mean, well, because he's got an injury, I will get rid of it. I think my thing with it isn't that they're doing it. I'd actually maybe just edge towards you, James. I don't really have a whole take on it. If I was to say something that's drawing me away from it, it's just that they've gone to that well a lot. Yeah, but once you've done it for one title, you've got to be consistent. You can't yeah, true. do it for the TNT and not, I mean, in my opinion, you couldn't do it for the TNT title and then, oh, it's a different title, we'll strip it. I think you've got to be consistent. This is the way this company is going to treat injured champions. And I'd imagine, yeah, if he can't wrestle again in a year, you you get to a point when it's like, okay, this is a bit long, and like like you would do in a, in a boxing or an MMA. You know, once it gets to a point, they're like, well, actually, yeah, you're not coming back, are you? And <laughs> and that sort of thing. So I I think, but I think you have to be consistent with it. And if you you can't just do it with one belt and not the other, I actually think yeah. you might have won me over with it. But I think like I just think of when they did it with like the Ring of Honor Women's Title, just because someone couldn't make a show. <laughs> this this feels a lot more not a lot more warranted than that one, for example. But um, but yeah, no, I, I think you make a point. Who do you think is going to win the battle royal to face Mox? I, I'd have thought today. Imagine if it's MJF. Mm-hmm. And they go to an MJF. But well, I didn't know about all the sort of hoop jumping through of like this guy has to beat this guy and they face this guy. So I thought from the outside they were going to just do MJF as the guy because the story seems built around him. But I haven't watched a lot of AEW lately, so yeah. So I mean, so I missed it, and I heard people on I saw on Twitter people like, "Why is this so complicated?" And then fair play to AEW, they put. A, I mean, they obviously take this criticism on board. They put a statement out, and it is a little convoluted method, but they put the statement out which laid it out pretty clearly. And if you can't understand that, then yeah, you're just a bit of a muppet, I think. <laughs> I, I still haven't got round. I still haven't got to the rampage part of the promo, which apparently was the confusing part. But on Saturday, I think it was Saturday, they put out this statement saying 
Right, there's a battle royal. The winner faces Moxley. Tanahashi's facing Goto. Those two winners are play, facing the interim title at Forbidden Door. So, you know, it's pretty it's simply, you know, it might be a convoluted way of getting there, but it's a simple quarter. Um, Moxley gets that shot because he's the number one ranked in the division. So there's a reason for him getting that. Like, they explain that. Did you say, so in Japan, because I haven't actually looked, I've just heard what people said. So Tanahashi has Goto. Yeah, so Tanahashi and Goto are in like a qualifier. Is there a reason why it's them too? There probably is. I, I just don't know. Well, on Wednesday, Punk in Punk's promo, him and FTR wrestled uh, the greatest stable of all time, the Ass Boys and the Acclaimed. And after they won, they were two in air. Punk said, right, who have I got at Forbidden Door? I don't want to, you know, I just want to know. And the Tanahashi came out. That one I get. It was meant to be him, be Punk. And I think his match at wherever their next big card is against Goto. Right, okay. So I'm assuming Goto sort of lucked into it a little bit because they can't change the New Japan booking. Yeah, well, could have GTR v GTS at some point down the line. I mean, if... <laughs> Goto wins the title. Go to sleep be the Goto revolution. It's the match <laughs> I want. Give it me. I think that would be... If Goto winning the title would be the interim title, I think it might be similar to uh, what Ross said about the uh, ending of Strong Star, which we'll get to later but, um, <laughs> with the other candidates. But yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think there's a chance at MJF. I mean, there's a chart. I don't know if he'll even be on the show based... I mean, I don't know if you saw his promo or heard anything about that. I saw the promo. Yeah, I did see the promo. What did you think, James? You you see a lot more MJF week to week than me. Uh, I thought it was a, another great performance from from MJF. When I first saw it, so I saw, um, again, because I wasn't going to have much time, and I had a couple of messages. I think my brother had texted me, and RevPro Roll had messaged me about, obviously, in the promo. So I watched it before I got it, got it spoiled, and I thought it was the end of the show, because I just saw like an eight-minute thing on Twitter. And then when I actually got around to watching how much of Dynamite I'd seen, it was quite near the beginning of the show. And so it was actually going to a commercial. And I thought they just cut to black and ended the show. And then they sort of come back and no one mentions it happened, which, you know, is what you would happen if someone's gone rogue and gone off script, so to speak. I think it's all a complete work. And I'm into it. I don't buy any of it at all. I buy that he wants more money. So you think that he purposefully missed the meeting, Greg? Yeah, I think even that was a work. That's horrible if that's true. <laughs> but then, the, yeah, people are me turning up to get insulted by the bloke. True. So, so, so and I heard you I, can film. You can film that. Yeah, but what's the? But again, and then I have to give credit to the guys off post wrestling who said, yeah, these people who turned up to get insulted. What's the biggest insult? The guy doesn't even turn up. They probably love it. But you know what? I think the value in it, I'm not disagreeing, but I think the value in getting insulted by MJF is you can film it and show your mates that time MJF insulted you, whereas he's not even allowed on that. I don't know. That that bit is the bit with me that, that makes me think that bit was was a... Uh, yeah, I, I'm not... Yeah, I mean, wrestling fans are wrestling fans, right? I'm not going to get the violins out for them. But at the same time, allegedly, didn't some of them pay like $100 and then they don't get the thing that they paid for? That part of it doesn't feel like a work to me. Well, I imagine they got refunded and got something chucked in. I think I'm pretty sure they definitely got other things, people like stepping in. I'm imagining they oh, got... quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, that is the, the one. But for me, it's wrestling. I don't, I won't believe in anything. <laughs> I'll buy into the story and I'll enjoy it. And I think there's a decent chance he might leave in 2024. But at the moment, wouldn't shock me if they were setting up a sort of almost... 
reverse Summer of Punk with MJF. I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. And I think this is also one of the rare examples where, um, as wrestling fans generally, we, we moan about how much we know about what happens behind the scenes. I think this is one of the rare examples where knowing what we do know has actually created a story where I don't think the 90s or the early noughties could have competed with in terms of everyone being in on it, but actually not having a clear narrative that they can all agree on. And I think that's what makes it more compelling and makes that promo more compelling. In most cases, we just get things sport for us and we moan about it. But in this case, I don't think anyone's 100% day-to-day what's actually happening. So that grey area is really good, I think. Yeah, and it, yeah, it creates the what is it? controversy creates cash, as a uh, famous promoter once said, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, going back to the promo, I thought, yeah, well-delivered promo. He made some points. He got some cheers. He's called the crowd pricks for cheering him. And like hypocritical, so he didn't. He wasn't trying to embrace the face. I'd be more interested to see where it goes if it goes anywhere. If they take him off for a few weeks, I, think I saw something on Twitter earlier saying that he should. Uh, Tony Khan and him should buy a front row ticket to Money in the Bank. <laughs> Get him there without telling like not without telling WWE just to add more to it. <laughs> oh wow, which would be amazing. But like, yeah, I'll be interested to see how it goes. And as, as you say, not knowing is half the fun well most of the fun if you know it's a bit dull isn't it yeah I've really been like rolling my eyes a little bit of people getting so angry about the fact that they're being worked like it's part of the fun guys like it's not anything to be ashamed of MJF's point that us fans don't actually know shit is kind of true right we only know as much as is fed to us from whoever it is that that you get your news from and to be honest it's always the kind of sources say so who's to say if it even is true anyway here, here. Just enjoy it. <laughs> cool. Well, shall we push on to the round table then, fellas? Yes, please. Oi. Right. This week's round table, the main event of the evening is a review or, you know, it's a, I don't think we can go through every match of three-day card, but whatever, like an in-depth discussion about the weekend and of progress is Super Strong Style 16. I went for day one. Conman, you were there for day two? Yep, just day two for me, I'm afraid, yeah. And Ross, you were there all three days, so, you know, we'll leave day three completely up to you. As far as day one goes, there's not like a huge amount to say. It's the opening, from my opinion, personally. I had a great time, really enjoyed it. Had a lovely night or afternoon, as it was. It's <laughs> eight tournament matches. They're getting everyone out there, setting up some storylines. Anything uh, particular that you want to get to for that, Ross? Or did most people manage to leave a bigger impression later on in the week? Most people did, but we have to give our props to um, some of those matches on uh, yeah, day one, yeah. I think. The... Aramis match was absolutely excellent, I thought. Really enjoyed Charles Crowley, obviously, was just an absolute star. <laughs> what was your match of the night for night one? So it was Aramis, Robbie X, wasn't it? Yeah. That was really good, as you'd expect. I think it's probably that one. Morrison and, and Evans was nice, like nostalgia, a bit of little, big, two little import big stars. I'm struggling to remember everything that happened now. Yeah, Can I ask you guys a question based on day one, as someone who's never done day one? Does it ever become repetitive that it's just singles matches? Like, 
do you ever wish that there was other matches thrown in that are maybe a bit of a breather or does it actually flow really well and every match feels important and it's good times like for me personally as, I, as I'm normally I think it's the first time I've not well, I've been and not been able to do all three days I like day one because there's, there's usually some people you've never seen before you get introduced to everyone who's going to be there all weekend and yeah there's not normally they're not normally long like really long matches there's usually I don't know I'd guess they're between sort of eight and 12 minutes the majority of them and so it goes at a reasonable pace and you just get that it's sort of an introduction to the weekend so for me it doesn't I don't know Ross what would you say yeah I, I do take your point Matt that um eight singles matches on the scheme of things does sound kind of a bit samey but because they've got like every match has stakes and you kind of are wishing one of them to go through whichever one it, it may be I enjoy the flow of it and there is part of me that thinks maybe they could have squeezed one of the bigger matches from day two or three on day one as like a main event, but actually a main event of uh, Morrison uh, and Jack Evans, like it was quite a nice little nostalgia nod, as um, James said, and both of them brought their wrestling boots. It was definitely Morrison's best performance of the weekend. Jack Evans was pretty spectacular throughout the whole weekend, but Morrison in particular felt like he was trying to... uh, you know, get his boy Jack Evans over. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want that question to sound too loaded. It's just, I mean, I had to make a decision and day two had about 53 matches. So I, I went for that one. But mm-hmm. like, I just wondered, um, not because of any guy in the tournament, they're all, you know, fantastic. I just wondered if it became repetitive. So yeah, glad to know that it keeps you on the edge. Like wrestling fans love a tournament, don't we? So we should probably mention the finish to that Malik Callum Newman match. Yes, that was amazing. So I'm right in calling it a dead eye, right? Yeah, that's, that's that's what Hangman Page calls it. I don't know if that's, if, if that's just his name for it. Yeah, so a dead eye itself is a pretty badass move. Basically sitting on some guy's shoulders after you drop him onto the floor. And Malik performed that onto Callum Newman from the second rope. Is that right? You know, if you want to check it, you can always go to the Wrestling Should Be Fun Instagram page because I believe Dom got a video of it. He did, actually, didn't he? Yeah. He did. Has he archived a story, though? Because if he hasn't, it'll be gone. <laughs> well, that bit I don't know. Apparently, he was he was in quite a good condition on day one, so probably. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Owned by six. Do we have a little um, shout-out to Don Van Damme on, on uh, day one, James? Yeah, let's have a shout-out to Don Van Damme on day one. I'll tell you what, I'll go one further. Shout-out to Don Van Damme on all three days. I mean, I was at two, but day one and three, I managed to live vicariously through the stories. So, you know, he offers... A really great service to people who aren't there and if you're listening to this podcast and for some reason you're not following the instagram page get on it because it's actually top draw work sadly he missed the instagramming the uh europe's premier rock paper scissors tournament hosted by Sunshine machine as he'd been sent home at 6 p.m for having too many beers <laughs> he told me on day two that he woke up at 3 a.m with the worst beer fear in his life <laughs> <laughs> But fair play to the lad. He was still drinking on uh, day three, which unreal, really. He was in great form, to be fair to him. It was good fun. Little uh, shout out to Lycos too for what happened on that uh, evening in day one. James. Yeah, I, I wanted to give it like just give a brief mention definitely to the uh, the Rock Paper Scissors tournament hosted, Europe's premier Rock Paper Scissors tournament, sorry to give it its full name, hosted by the Sunshine Machine. Uh, me and Ross uh, went, Ross kindly stepping in for Dom, who was unable to attend. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we turned up at this pub, went upstairs, and they said, Are oh, you here for the stand up comedy? We're like, No, for the rock, paper, scissors tournament. 
and we'd gone to the wrong pub. So that was a good start. <laughs> After we, I would already bought a beer. So he stayed. I mean, also there. that pub definitely thought you were taking the piss at that instant. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way that pub went, oh, of course they're here for the easy mistake. <laughs> easy mistake. Uh, we did make it up just in time. And uh, they select sort of all the, the wrestlers who were there were in the tournament. You, you take Mayfair's, Livy Grace, uh, Kid Lycos 2, Kid Lycos 1. And then they select like certain members of the crowd. You got a raffle number and you got drawn out into the game. And me and Ross managed to both get in the draw. Ooh. I won my first match and then lost in the quarterfinal, being the poor predictable bar. Always picks Brock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've always predicted Rock, always predicted Scissors, but the other guy picked the opposite thing every time I lost 2-0. Uh, Ross, though, do you, want, you know, absolutely robbed by Kid Like Us 2. Do you want to fill the listeners in, Ross? Yeah, so um, both Chuck Mambo and TK Cooper have apologised to me, and I do accept the apology, and it was actually great booking. So Kid Like Us 2 and myself were at 1-1 in a match of best to two, and we both went Scissors. And Kid Lycos won, then distracted Chuck and Mambo and Lycos 2 changed his answer and beat me because they turned around at the exact point that, that he changed his answer and I was fuming. And the crowd were fuming. And most of all, Luke Jacobs was fuming because he warned them that if they cheat again, then Lycos 2 is going to get a par driver on the floor of the bar. And that's exactly what happened. And... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a beautiful moment. It was. Um, I felt like I was being booked in like a real convoluted tournament. I loved it. <laughs> I say, I mean, it should possibly get you automatic entry into next year for the rematch. So everyone wants to <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm down. But uh, yeah, fair play to uh, to TK and Mambo. They, they put on a really fun evening. Uh, and then there was a this, uh, so Tate Mayfair's was uh, was very entertaining. Got thrown into a into a table and. Did he get thrown into it, just pushed into it, but he sold it like a champ, didn't he? He did, yeah, 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 absolute champ. Lost his first round match and then tried to enter every single match after that. <laughs> lost after, after I'd called him out as well. <laughs> More on Tate Mayfair's on day three. Yeah, that's probably as much as I could talk about rock, paper, scissors all evening. Uh, let's get on to day two. So obviously I met you guys in the pub after work. You guys have been at the show. You'd had a few beers. I'm not sure you remember talking to me or not. But uh, <laughs> say all your takes. Don't worry if you think you've said them to me before and definitely the listeners want to hear. Let's go with the, the non-tournament matches first. There's a couple of big ones especially. What do you want to start with? The, the tag match or the uh, Cara Spike? I could talk about both. And again, speaking of uh, same with Helena Selby and bookended by great matches, day two was just bookended by great matches. I genuinely couldn't watch the finish to the tag match. To explain it for those that weren't there that maybe want a bit of colour, man like Doris attempted a moonsault off of a surfboard. The surfboard snapped, but not enough to break it, but enough that everyone heard it snap. Doris couldn't do the moonsault, and everyone thought, well, they're going to write that surfboard off. No, they used it for the finish, and Mambo and TK did their finish up. They then proceeded to do it to one of the smoking aces through the broken surfboard. It broke before they'd even hit the floor. It looked horrendous, but what a match. I saw the spot on Don managed to get this one. It's almost like a reverse Meltzer driver type 
well, yeah. or like Dead Eye with a double stomp. Yeah. Through a surfboard that's attached between two ladders quite high up in the air. It's crazy. <laughs> like, I completely trust that those guys know what they're doing more than me. This is not a question of me saying it was unsafe, but I, I honestly could not watch it. I, I just, oh, I had such an edge about it. But there was just six guys in that match that beat the hell out of each other, did so many great spots. You could see the effort that had gone in and and the result that wrestling should be fun wanted in the end. Well, maybe not Ross. I mean, Ross, you've probably got some words to say about the Smoking Aces treatment in that arena, right? I'm real. I'm real. I know that they're the third most liked in the ballroom of those three teams, but smoking arseholes, that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they started. <laughs> oh, they got, they got it. They give it back, to be fair, and rightly so, but they got heat. Yeah, and almost immediately after being called smoking asses, Charlie Sterling then sold his ass for about two whole minutes. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. <laughs> I really wanted them to do something with more with the surfboard so that surfing aces could have got over. But it, oh, lovely. But it didn't. But yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Three teams that gave everything. Yeah, to, It was to the um, the boring pretty much. Was it sort of like a 95% Sunshine Machine, like a bit of love? No. one two one, and then... The aces were treated as the heels, or was it was it more of a mixture? I'd say 0-1-2-1 got a lot more love than than a ninety five percent split. Would you say, Ross? Yeah, definitely. With um, you'd have loved his jacket, actually, mate. You missed out. It was on the best break. jacket. It was the best jacket of the weekend. I, well, of the day that I saw. So I'm going to say the whole weekend. It was Derice or Maloney. Derice. I think Dom called him man like Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> it was that good a jacket. <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, it was a match that obviously we've all been super excited about. We've waxed lyrical about the tag team division, not just in Progress, but also in Rev Pro, but specifically in Progress, as we're talking about this now. Uh, these three teams have been going around each other in a round-robin type way for the last, what, six months or, or whatever. Banger after banger after banger. And yeah, they put the bodies on the line. There were some crazy spots. Everything was smooth, though. Like, nobody looked like they were going to die, which was brilliant for my point of view with my heart palpitations <laughs> so yeah real great opener feel good moment for the crowd with chuck and tk finally becoming uh tag team champs and as a wider point i'll say and maybe i speak for myself here and everyone else is a bit uh, fatigued that those three teams i'm still not done with watching them all wrestle each other but maybe i'm in the minority that hasn't been to as many shows but i could easily watch one of those teams now change the sunshine machine at the next show <laughs> they're just going to be fighting forever I don't mind it honestly I don't <laughs> mind how predictable it is I still feel like I, I want that two out of three falls Aces versus Sunshine Machine match Oof. yes please yeah it's a match I'm going to check out I'm going to, make, I'm going to try and check out the whole show when it when it drops so I'll uh, find a way for sure maybe maybe, mon- maybe through money or through someone else's money uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean I was yeah, so happy for those guys in their I mean, we've seen them come up the card. They've escaped the mid-card, I think, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, officially escaped. I'd say undisputed British tag team champions makes you escape the mid-card, yeah, right? exactly. It's, it's so cool for them. And two, of the, uh, two really nice guys who always have a bit of time for you. And, uh, yeah, wish, um, I think their success is very much deserved. And talking about, um, obviously, we talk a lot about um, the fact that they're a pair that are booked on both Rev Pro and Progress. Lovely touch that apparently they actually wore both belts at Rev Pro on Sunday, something that obviously they didn't have to do, but something that I think needs to be done more. Like, I really don't like the kind of like tribalness of wrestling, especially in something as community based as British wrestling. It's just needless for me. 
I saw Tony Khan tweeted recently about Stokely Hathaway and that he used to work for the enemy and stuff. And like words like that, I just like think, oh, just real pathetic. So anything that can like bring people together rather than tear them apart, lovely little touch. I thought you were about to say Tony Khan spoken recently on the RevPro Progress Divide. (laughs) Uh, And he said the Sunshine Machine should work both. No, yeah, I I can only echo what you just said, Ross. I mean, we spoke uh, at length about how great RevPro was recently, right? We're not uh, biased here. We just love wrestling as well. So, yeah, I can only echo that. Did Sunshine Machine have Sunday off? Because I know the Rev the Rev show was was a few hours later, so there would have been theoretically time for them to work both. But I'm guessing they didn't. They probably deserved a day off from a day. I think they worked Sunday, yeah. They did work Sunday as well. Yeah. Not progress, not progress. They didn't. No, so, do you mean you mean as in they did one show? Yeah. Yeah, because I saw the show times. There would have been theoretically enough time for. Sorry, yeah, no, yeah. Down the road. So, but I must, but I think they probably deserved to do only single duty after <laughs> after that match. I was just yeah, just wasn't sure what, if they'd been because obviously I hadn't seen the full day three card yet. Move on to the main event, guys. I mean, this is a story that you two guys are properly into. Con man, Cara Noir, definitely your boy. Ross has got the absolute face for heel. I watched the promo they put out on Saturday when I was at work of that three-minute video package, and it was incredible. I said, I was keen to see it anyway but i've missed a couple of the shows on the build-up which uh, you guys have filled me on quite well so i know you for you two definitely it was a uh, culmination of a really well-told story tell everyone about it it's a story that i didn't see this coming but ross will obviously be able to fill us in more it's still going as well right like um day three added another layer to this i'm obviously invested in Kara. i think he's phenomenal and this match was just outstanding it's not my favourite car match. I prefer the stories told with Ilya, but that's not an insult. That's that's more that like this took something out of me in a way. Like it, it felt like an effort watching at times. Like they were just beating the hell out of each other, and, and the spots felt like they were upping the ante at every moment. And it felt uncomfortable as much as he's the heel. There were moments when I watched Spike interacting with the audience where it was hatred towards him, and obviously that's designed, and I'm sure he reveled in it. I remember seeing him go square on with a fan at one point and nothing was ever close to happening, but the hatred was very real. And some of it, you know, progress had egged on with the signs and everything, but... I was wild, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, a, a, yeah, a really well-told story. I don't know how long the match went. If you told me it was 20 minutes or 40 minutes, I'd, I'd say yes. Like, it, I just got absorbed in it. I, I went up and down the stairs. I was flying up to see bits and not see bits. I mean, when Cara got a trampoline out, I felt like we should have just smuggled you in, James. I mean, when's a trampoline going to come back into wrestling? (laughs) Incredible scenes when the trampoline come out. Three tables and none of it felt like they were setting out for a spot. Like it felt like part of the story, like adding on, like, I mean, obviously I'm biased. I love the guy. Spike's the best guy to boo. Everything connected for me. But Ross, like, not to segue too much, but like day three, do you feel like that's a great continuation of the story? And like, do you agree on day two? Was it that good a match? Oh yeah, loved it, loved it. The little callbacks to the previous stuff, like the way that um, he uh, chained his neck to the top rope, which is very similar to the 10th anniversary attack that we were there for. Just the way that Spike Trevay is a character who I always kind of say now that like, he's kind of a cockroach. You can't hurt him. He's got no shame. If he loses a match, he's not that bothered. Like he lost the match against Danny Black at the Dome and it didn't appear to really bother him. It was more about 
the like mental manipulation of Cara Noir. He's just that kind of insidious character that no matter what you do to try and swap him away, he just won't go away. And he's shameless. He has no qualms about getting involved in Thomas Dawkins' personal life, bringing in like the real life into the situation. Obviously, the wife played a part in the ending. I absolutely loved it. And I was surprised that this was the ending on day two and then they ended it the way that they did in day three as well. I know that we'll talk about that later, but because the air in that ballroom just kind of went out when Karen Noir finally spoke and said the words I quit to save his wife from getting pilmanized in the neck by a chair under Treve's foot. And I love the fact that Miller didn't come into the ring afterwards and thank the fans or anything like that. It, it, like they just left the feeling of, okay, that's it for Karen Noir. And Spike Treve's done exactly what he said he would do. And I love that about wrestling. Like sometimes you get like, like you need that hill moment to be like, fuck you. I can't believe that this has happened. I'm really upset. It's okay to feel like that in wrestling. I love that personally. But yeah, I can't heap too much praise more than what I've just said about it. I absolutely loved it. I'm glad you brought that up as well, Ross. I was going to mention that at the end. Like uh, whether it was on the fly or whether they decided it from the off, I'm presuming from the off, like Simon Miller not coming in was so perfect. And we've spoke before about like draws in wrestling and like whether whoever the biggest draw is, whether doesn't really matter. The only thing that can be said is within that building in the electric ballroom with that fan base and excluding me even, Cara Noir is the guy and the reaction he got afterwards with everyone standing up, smashing the ring. It might have only been 50 people, let's say, but that guy is beloved within that building and like that promotion. And to see that outpouring of love for him at the end was really lovely and even though it was such a sad ending in theory of Cara Noir maybe leaving progress or presumably is leaving progress, I'm so glad in a way that they've ended on that note if that's the way he's going to go. Like, it was a lovely send-off if, if that's the end of Cara Noir. As someone who was there, tell me, yeah, what went down? So Spike left first? Did he sort of give anything on his way out or...? He gave verbals, right? He, yeah. yeah, he kind of... Um, he, he just kind of stood at the top of the rampway looking at um, Cara Noir embracing his wife and kind of smirked and waved and, and left. And it was just like, yeah, I've done exactly what I said I was, that I was going to do. I love that the character of Spike essentially like down the road, maybe like he's never going to be happy, is he? Like he's got what he wanted in theory. And yet it still won't be enough for him. You know that like that will pass now. Tom Dawkins or Karen Lowell will get in his head again. He got a lot of in your head chants as well. Some great, some not so great, but um this story's got so many layers to it. For the people that are invested, like, it's fantastic. Yeah, but that's why I found interesting. I know what you said about Spike didn't really care about wins or losses in, during this feud. It'll be interesting to see if that changes now that he's done this. Or, or is he well, he's, Yeah, because he's got what he wanted, but he still won't be happy yeah. inside. If you look at it on a meta level, right? Like, the character will never be happy, but he's happy for now. Will he, yeah, will he have lost? Will he lose direction? He won't know what to do because he's been as obsessed with Kara as he managed to make Kara obsessed with him. So where where does he go from now? Even though he is the winner, is is he the winner? Or has he just lost his dance partner? Yeah, I can go into what happened on day three a bit more when we get to day three. Do you want to just go oh, now? Yeah, go now. Yeah, carry on with it with it, this story okay, now. Cool. Uh, so on day three, Spike Trevay came out. And he invited 
Thomas Dawkins onto the stage because he had um, an offer for him. And he basically said to Thomas Dawkins, he, he, he like forced him to like come into the ring and like face him. And so Cara Noir wasn't dressed like Cara Noir. He was dressed in shirt, jeans, no face paint as Thomas Dawkins. And he explained that when he originally turned down a title shot in the Peckham era from Spike Trevay saying that he wasn't worthy, he knew then that he was going to basically end the career of Cara Noir because he embarrassed Spike by like saying that. And he said, how do I get to Thomas Dawkins? Well, the person that Thomas Dawkins hates the most in life is Thomas Dawkins. And that's the reason that he wears a face paint. He has a facade of Cara Noir and he had to like strip it away. So he's offered Thomas Dawkins to come back to progress, but he's at the bottom of the card. He can't use any of his moves that he used to use. And they're all now Spike Trebay's moves. He can't wear his like his face paint, can't have the theme tune. And he gave him wrestling boots. And he was basically like, yeah, you're at the bottom of the card and you're back in progress, but you're nobody. And you're the person that you hate the most. So it's like pretty amazing storytelling. I really hope that they can get, I mean, they're probably not going to do this, but it would be fantastic if the next pre-show match is Tom Dawkins. Yeah. Start him at the proper bottom. Yeah. 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 And and like in between the telling of the story in terms of the narrative and all the story beats that they had to hit, Spike Trevay was just being a complete like bully being like, are you going to cry, Thomas? Are you going to cry in front of all these fans that used to love you, but like now they can see that you're a loser, et cetera, et cetera, just like they are. Absolutely amazing. He completely captivated the crowd. It was slightly annoying. I, I spoke to Phil and Dom about this, that I absolutely love promos in progress because they're so few and far between that when they do happen, they tend to be really quite impactful and they give them to people that can hold their own on the mic, whether that be in the past with the likes of Havoc and Osprey had that amazing one at Alexander Palace. Obviously, Spike can easily. And some of the things that Spike was then saying, like the fans would try and do like a little like witticism after it. And after a while, I was just like, oh, fucking hell, lads, just let them do the promo. Yeah. <laughs> Is that that witty Australian? <laughs> <laughs> the big guy at the back. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there, really. Um, yeah, absolutely loved it. Really great promo and intriguing to see where it goes. And did Dawkins suggest that he'd take up the offer? So he kind of nodded his head and then Spike Trevay was like, no, no, no more mute Cara Noir. <laughs> Say the words, Thomas. So, yeah. Uh, and then he kind of was just like, yeah, fine. Do you know what? This is one of them stories that if it wasn't happening in progress, people would rave about it. Yeah. Like, it's such a fantastic idea. Like... I get down the line, maybe we're going to get people that are going to besmirch it <laughs> to go regal, besmirch it. Talk shit about it just because, like, Cara might eventually become Cara Weber again. But, like, it's such a great wrinkle. Like, there's probably loads of examples, but none come to mind that are so similar to the way that Spike's going to just absolutely put Cara through the ringer or try and get him through the ringer to maybe get back to it. It's so clever. I just love it. Yeah. And remember that um, from the very start, he's basically said that I'm going to show you the real Thomas Dawkins. And yeah. he alluded to the fact that Thomas Dawkins actually may not be the best person in the world. There's every chance that we're going to get like Thomas Dawkins being a heel at some point. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. They're, well, the, at this point, without knowing where they're going, like it's a, quite an exciting prospect to see how the hell you book those guys for the next show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that sounds very really interesting. That I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't even know he'd been on the show Sunday. Like Dawkins was on the show Sunday. Yeah, that's a cool uh, wrinkle. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see how how that goes. And they've ended. Well, I don't know. It's Act One, Act Two of this story. The way you'd say it, like fantastically. And then now you go into the next chapter. One little wrinkle that Spike Trevay also managed to get as well was um, you've probably all seen on the internet that Thomas is leaving and. You know, he's got bigger and better things to do in Germany and the States or in Enfield. But the truth is that you're nowhere near. And the only place that pays good money in British wrestling is Progress Wrestling. So you need this. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, that was pretty good. Also love that Treve's really trying to screw me over for the prediction point for the year as well. <laughs> Stopping Cara going and getting that Yankee dollar. Cheers, man. <laughs> well, yeah, will, will, will you get it if Thomas Dawkins wrestles in the matter? I think if Thomas Dawkins wrestles on Rampage, then I get the point. <laughs> we'll leave that up to Editor Phil at the end of the season. No, God, please, no, 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 no. So, yeah, wrapping up on and Spike, let's move back to the tournament. Day two of the tournament, what's the standouts? Who was uh, who was going through? I'll say something quickly on the Ridgeway-Dempsey match, and I know Ridgeway's going to come up again. Ridgeway-Dempsey, I really struggle to know how to deal with those sort of grapple fuck matches live, because they're objectively great, and this match was objectively fantastic. Like, every time they hit a German suplex, it felt like someone had just hit a Canadian Destroyer. Like, they built the match perfectly. It was greatly paced. And I have no criticism of it at all. But as a live spectator, they're matches I personally struggle with. But I can imagine watching that on demand. That is going to be an absolute killer to watch. Interesting. Yeah, so Ridgeway had an interesting weekend, obviously. And it started on day one. Did you spot that um, Ridgeway gave Allmark like, the finger at the end of the round one match, James? No, I was probably just annoyed that he'd won at all (laughs) (laughs) so I've been saying for absolutely ages that Chris Ridgway he's better as a heel than a face and I know that I keep on harping back to that IWL match where he he's a heel isn't he well this is the thing like is he no no I don't think he is objectively a heel Northwest stronger heels no I'm not buying that I would argue that for absolutely ages Chris Ridgway has been a bit of a tweener and Luke Jacobs is a face but they both act in a way that's kind of surly, bully characteristics that can easily be made into a heel character. Jacobs worked more heel on day two than Ridgeway did. On day two, on day three, I'm not going to. But Jacobs felt like more of a heel on day two. Yeah. So I would probably argue that, yeah. But like Dempsey came out and kind of was trying to get cheers, which is something that I've never seen him do previously. So I think that they were still trying to get Dempsey as the face in this match. And that led on from day one where he gave Dean Ormark the finger after seemingly having a bit of a back and forth face-to-face match. So it kind of set the seeds as to what happened on day three. But I'm just delighted that Ridgeway has got like a concise character because I'm really coming around to him as a wrestler. I can't remember if you were there, James, on the Dome show where he fought Kid Lycos. Uh, sounds embarrassing going to that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Pull back. Ever since that match, I've come really round to 
Ridgeway. And as I say, he kind of wrestles in that kind of Shibata type style of like just being a badass and not really giving too much respect to his opponents. And now that he's gone fully down that route on day three, I think he's going to be a good heel champion. Well, don't get me wrong. He's a good wrestler. I just think he's a heel. I'm, I've never cheered him. And it's probably for these mannerisms that you that you mentioned, to be honest, Ross. Yeah. And he's another one of those boys who came in and got that, in you know, sort of like the CCK, and never really got on board with because they sort of came in with a, and were just sort of there without being told why. And we were expected to know who they were. Yeah. And that, and that always gets me off on the wrong way. I mean, I think if someone comes into a new promotion, maybe if the if the Rock turned up, I, you know, they'd expect me to know who he was. Fair enough. <laughs> Guys from these smaller promotions, and you never really give you a reason or who they are. You know, you can say what you want about progress now. At that time, it was the biggest slash joint biggest promotion in the UK. Yeah, I, I can definitely vouch that on the CCK side of things as well from a personal point of view i was gonna say with ridgeway right was ridgeway was an mps winner am i thinking that's right i think he was yeah yeah he faced walter right after he won it i think yes something that we spoke about actually at the ballroom was um that he's obviously had terrible luck with title shots so yeah yeah it's about time that he won do you not think that's <laughs> that's quite a cool wrinkle though like looking at it from a kayfabe point of view like when ridgeway's had a one-on-one match for a title against the champion, he's always consistently, whether it's the Atlas belt, whether it's the Proteus belt, whether it's the heavyweight title, he's always come up short. But in tournament scenarios in progress, he's now won two when like he's not facing a champion. I'm sure that's not something they're ever going to probably mention. But as a kayfabe thing, I think that's really cool that in a tournament scenario, Ridgeway's got the stamina. He can go the distance and he realises that in every match he's an equal Maybe he has a slight inferiority complex when he faces a champion that draws him away from like winning the big one. So it's going to be really interesting to see as a champion how he approaches matches. Like you say, I think he's just going to be more of a dick. But um, it's a great little wrinkle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. My other takeaways just for the quarterfinal matches were we had Gene Money and Warren Banks both go through. And um, having spoken to obviously both of those on the podcast, I was fully behind both. And especially uh, having had Warren Banks on the previous week and him talking about how Lycos, maybe um, he owes Lycos a bit of a debt for um, getting him into progress. But actually he owes him more of a debt for the way that he's acted since he's got to progress. So for him to beat Lycos and Lycos acted brilliantly as you expect as the heel, mega pop from us on our day two for that. Yeah, and I'm also going to show him my library card next time I see him. Phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> From day two, my only one last point, because I think we've summed up, like, but I wanted to, and you can segue into day three, Ross, because I heard the day three match was outstanding, but um, Luke Jacobs versus Big Guns Joe was a lot, lot, lot better than it had to be. And by that, I mean, like, Big Guns Joe was very impressive in this match. Like, I'd seen him on the demand during the lockdown era, and... You know, he, him and Gene Money put on some great tag matches. He had a couple of singles matches as well, and they were always really fun. And he seems like a wrestler that wants to entertain, and I love that. But against Luke Jacobs, he just took his licks and came back with babyface fire every time he had to. Like, I remember going to Shafi at the start of the match, like, oh, if you've not seen Jacobs live, like, you're going to really enjoy him. They over-delivered. Like, it was ridiculously stiff. Phrasing. And Joe came out of it looking like a guy they could book on the next show as, like, 
a really hot baby face. Ross, am I overselling it or is that No, fair? no, not, not at all. It was a match that was kind of obviously thrown together because of the unfortunate news with Jonathan Gresham not making the show, but they absolutely over-delivered, didn't they? Jacobs, as you say, some of the strikes were absolutely unreal. Um, the match went far, far longer than we thought it would. And the punishment that Big Chance Joe had to take because of that was unreal. And yeah, like he surely got himself megaly over with the Bournemouth crowd for his performance. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Jack Stars from NXT UK. I don't know if you get that impression. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. He takes his licks. Yeah, just like a plucky underdog that takes his yeah. licks. It's like I say, I thought that match was going to be three minutes. Jacobs just lariats the hell out of him. But Jacobs did lariat the hell out of him in the end. But it took a long time. And uh, like, I think the big money gun dogs should be inserted into that tag division. If money's not, you know, money didn't get the big one. Joe got over. Them two as a face tag team for a bit would be a hoot in that. Put them against the Lycos gym again. I know they, I think they did that in lockdown, but let's have some more of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's usually some like fun matches with people out of a tournament. Uh, anything stand out particular from uh, there? Anything with Jack Evans, Cam Newman, Maggot? I remember Dean almost said he was wrestling Damo. I think when we bumped into him on the in the kebab shop. Talking about wrestlers who who took their licks on on this card on day two, it was obviously the match straight after the ladder match, and it was a non-tournament match, so it felt a bit throwaway. But Big Damo absolutely destroyed Dean Emot. <laughs> Unreal. Some of the strikes that he was being put through even did a uh, somersault sent on through a chair onto it or mark in a match that really yeah. didn't need to happen. But yeah, both of those guys put on a great show. And then for the flippy lads, we had CPF against Evans, Maggot, RSP and Robbie X. And it was a hoot. Real fun. Cool. Well, we won't go into it too much. Because uh, we're we're going long, we've still got a day to talk about, but um, definitely sounds one that's worth checking out when it drops on demand. So day three, we've touched on a bit of Spike Cara. Um, talk me through. We had the big two three falls women's title match. Kanji Giselle Shaw. Just kick us off with that one before we get to the end of the tournament. Yeah, sure. So. I got a bit of grief from uh, people that, that were on this show with me for this opinion, but I actually think that Kanji versus Shaw was my favourite match of the whole weekend. It was absolutely brilliant. Giselle Shaw, I don't think I've seen a, a performance as accomplished as what she did. She was unreal. She was like her her in-ring, her character, her mannerisms, absolutely brilliant. Obviously, she's the kind of the queen. She's the dragon of progress that she called herself. Put out three falls. First fall was really, really quick. She did almost like a Roman Reigns spear from the start, pinned Kanji within like seconds, and then absolutely destroyed her for 10 minutes or so. Um, it got quite kind of uncomfortable with some of the knee strikes, James. They were kind of um, similar to, what's that wrestler that you always bang on about from stardom? Teresa Hoshiki. Yeah, kind of <laughs> like honestly, unreal. Some of the strikes that Kanji was having to kind of well, they were um, lacking in these strikes on day one. I did notice. You did notice that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Kanji managed to like fight away through it all. There was points where, uh, similar to Spike Chavez a little bit with Thomas Dawkins, where like it was getting towards that kind of like bullying behavior where she stood over her saying like, you'll never be a champion. You're nothing. You're pathetic, et cetera, et cetera. And the crowd were getting really behind Kanji being like, fight back Kanji. She got the second full. And then 
the third fall was absolutely amazing. I'm sure that you probably saw during the Peckham era that these two had some amazing matches. And unfortunately, Kanji had to vacate the title because I think she broke her arm. And it appears that she's still got like a splinter on that arm. And Giselle Shaw was basically had her in a position to like basically do like a Fujiwara like arm break, basically. So the crew like rushed the like ring, basically saying like, quit Kanji, quit Kanji. And everyone's saying, don't quit. But everyone's a bit like, I don't want to watch someone break their arm. <laughs> And basically they managed to kind of stop Shaw from, from like doing what she was doing. And it looked like the match was going to end in almost like a, almost like a, not actually physically thrown in the towel, but almost like they were taking Kanji to the back to be like enough's enough sort of thing. And then she kind of turned around and the crowd kind of like were really with her and she got back in the ring and like won the title in great fashion. And the crowd were really receptive to it as they had uh, Pyro for uh, her on the ramp like celebrating it was a lovely moment and then a real organic great moment um Giselle Short as I said is obviously massive heel people were giving her daggers throughout the whole thing and she was handing it right back to us but it's pretty clear now that Giselle Shaw is going to be pretty much impact full-time so her time in progress is likely at an end whilst it's not been made official you assume so she was left in the ring with the pyro and stuff going off and then once Kanji left the ramp and went backstage, I wasn't entirely sure how the crowd were going to react because obviously the hatred there is there for her because of the way that she acts. But there's also a massive amount of like respect for her. And especially in that match, uh, her, her performance was absolutely brilliant. And I was a bit like, are people going to do like a kayfabe, like please don't come back or like kind of give us shit? But it was kind of, she kind of slowly got to her feet and there was just an, an organic standing clap for her. And she kind of nodded, cried, and then walked off to her back and into the sunset of Impact Wrestling. So lovely moment, amazing match, full of intrigue and drama and genuine feeling, which is something that uh, we got plenty more of as the day went on. And where does Kanji go from here? Is there anyone think specifically set up for her? I know who we want. We want Lana Austin, right? That's what we want. <laughs> that would be great. Um, obviously, um, I think she's got her own feud. During the Peckham era, it was Mercedes Blaze that seemed to have feud with her, which I'm all for. Love some jacket action. <laughs> so yeah, that uh, that was that. Then we also had the surprise on day. Was it one or two that we got told that? Anthony was... Uh, day joined. one, his promo was. It was day one, was it? Yeah. So we weren't too sure who he was going to face. And he faced against Tate Mayfairs, which was a surprise to us all. Not least because, obviously, last time that Anthony was in the ballroom, he played a bully heel. Uh, so we were quite intrigued to see how it played out. But Tate Mayfairs, lads, he absolutely smashed it. Did you see the mark he left on uh, a go-go? I did see it. I did see it. Yeah, Good was lad. Good lad. Good lad. <laughs> Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, like, extended squash match. Tate Mayfair did did get a fair bit in, as you saw from the mark on Anthony's head. But this was actually almost like more of a showcase for Tate more than Anthony. It was quite surprising for me. Um, he got a pre-match promo. And then once the match was done and he was, like, dead in the ring, Tate Mayfair's asked for the microphone, even though he was, like, breathing heavily on trying to bring himself up off the floor. And basically it was like, is that all you've got, big guy? So then he came back in the ring, 
and he got punched in the head again. And then he's like even slower trying to get to his feet and he asked for the microphone again and Simon Miller's like, Tate, no. (laughs) (laughs) So so shades of Ziggler Goldberg. Yeah, very much so. And he came up with the line of, yeah, I lost, but at least I came second. I didn't get a bronze. (laughs) I didn't get a bronze like you did. (laughs) Oh, that's good. And then, uh, yeah, then he got a a Superman punch and uh, he got buried under a Union Jack flag and then a Progress flag. (laughs) Covering both bases there, Jubilee and Progress. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so yeah it was cool to see Anthony obviously big name big guy he looks good but for me it was a Tate Mayfair showcase and yeah very excited for him in the future with progress he's excellent um, not just getting a good reaction from the crowd but he's also great in the ring as well do you think um, Ross do you think like he should go the route of like kind of what Malik's doing like them CPF dudes like the younger guys just feuding with them I almost feel like putting him with the bigger guys and lose him for a bit, but like... But Heath Slater of 2012. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a, a little bit, yeah. And then, like, get him to be this kind of gobby shite that is willing to take a beating, but you can't shut him up. <laughs> and then move him on once he's kind of established, I guess. But yeah, there's so many ways that you can go with that character. Uh, moving on, Ross, I saw something... <laughs> on Twitter and I think from Dom's Instagram as well obviously I was at big football match yesterday shout out to Wales yeah uh, for their qualification to the World Cup uh, it seemed to be there was some Champions League music playing and they did they had a football in the ring and there was sort of captains picking playground style was that right correct yeah that was the opening match four aside captains pick and the first pick was Damo and he picked um, Jody Fleisch and rather than Fleischer's music playing, Charles Crowley music played and Crowley came out. Welcome to the show! <laughs> Damo was like, piss off, mate. <laughs> I'll give you um, I'll give you guys a spoiler. Next year, I'm going for Crowley wins some gold in progress. That guy is already so popular. You can just hear it in like the mutterings of people and stuff like the reactions he gets. He's on his way. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the four aside thing, they were like picking wrestlers. So certain points they would say like, next up, I'm going for a young gun. And then Crowley, who had moved on to the front row, (laughs) would like stand up and be like trying to get back in the ring. Like, no, not you. (laughs) (laughs) But eventually uh, he was last picked by RSP and he was like, uh, it was like, uh, okay, bring in the twat. <laughs> <laughs> and the finish was Crowley drop kicking Paige, even though he's his partner, over the rope to like steal his pin. <laughs> well, did Crowley get the pin? Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> but in the, in the video I saw, it was him uh, in the lineup. They're all stood there like sort of footballers, and he's just sort of looking around like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> just like. <laughs> He's just like trying to like look at Dean Olwark and no one will look at him. He's just like almost looks like Ashley Cole in that photo just out the way. Oh, the Roma team photo, yeah. 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 I'm with you though, Matt. In terms of guys that got over this past weekend, Crowley for me, massively over. Massively over. The theme you can, song. You can feel it, can't you? You can just feel it in the room, like when he was yeah. out, like yeah. people are well into it. 
which is a far cry from like, for example, when it came out in the anniversary show, it felt a bit like, yeah. like it's what's that only like five, six shows difference. But do you know what? I obviously like when we were there, like I remember feeling midway through that match, like myself going, do you know what? Crowley's great. <laughs> like midway yeah. through that match. So to see three months down the line or four months down the line, like that he is now like a guy that gets some buzz when he comes out is a really great thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And obviously the, the EastEnders thing is only making that bigger. Oh, there's going to be so much great material there. I saw that obviously he, he went on the team of Ricky, which is just brilliant because uh, James, yeah. you gave the Bianca shout in day one, right? <laughs> I mean, and then he a, ends up he ends up being on the team of Ricky. I mean, <laughs> you were long term, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. So that pretty much leaves us with the semi final and the final. Now I've seen the victor. Whoa, 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 wait, sorry. We'd have to go long on it, but Ross, I heard that Tisha V Jacobs was brilliant. Was it brilliant? It was absolutely brilliant. Um right. That's fine. <laughs> so, so it was obviously the penultimate match of what was a long three days. And the crowd were kind of tired, but they got them back on their feet with just the amount of striking. The match itself went quite long and they were kicking out of some things that were like, that's mental. <laughs> Sorry, James, you were you were doing a really good job. Like, but I just had to, I knew that that match got such love and like, I'm not going to let Jacobs not get over on this podcast. So No, no worries, mate. You keep talking <laughs> about these Northwest strong heels. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, segue. <laughs> So I saw the victor. I didn't see anything like storyline based or how the two semi-finals went down. It was Ridgeway Money and Progress v Banks, wasn't it? Yes. So Banks v Progress, not something that I'm going to dwell on, but it's the one match of the weekend that didn't click. Don't know what happened. Unfortunately, it wasn't anything to write home about. I think Banks really turned it around in the final. The performance between his semi-match and his final match was light and day. And I think maybe they were trying to do a bit too much comedy and the chemistry just wasn't there for whatever reason. Not going to dwell on it. it. What was the crowd split? Like, was it was it, was it it mainly people behind Banks or was there quite a few? Mostly people behind Banks, yeah. Johnny Progress, right? There's this dude who was on the other side to us who had the John Morrison coat. Like, he must have spent thousands on that. And he had his arm out to, to clap him and everything. Just walked past him. <laughs> Unreal. Um, but yeah, uh, that match was what it was. However, Ridgeway and Money. So this is where Ridgeway really cemented himself as a heel. And it's a, a result that nobody saw coming. I think everyone, once Banks went through, it was almost like, okay, so it's it, like, so it is G Money versus Banks. It's got the ready-made story, et cetera, et cetera. But G Money came into this match with a bad leg and a broken hand, I think. And Ridgeway really went after the leg, massively so to the point where it looked like money was going to quit. The crowd really got behind him. Please don't quit. Please don't quit, et cetera, et cetera. He'd always reach the rope or break out, and you'd think that he's going to battle through and win, which is what most people were expecting to happen. He had it quite badly strapped, his hand, because I think he may have broken his hand. I think he uh, legit broke a knuckle. Yeah, in day one or two. And obviously that's like a signifier for an injury. And because he's a Shabata type monstrous guy, he got rid of the tape and started to like do all like moves just on the hand and then was turning to the crowd and like doing the, like the crying motion with his eyes sort of thing. 
So really homing in on being a heel now. And end of the match was he had the bad leg and he had him in like a regal stretch type move and was just like, you know, when um, someone cinches in a submission that goes from like a submission move to like, yeah, that's terrorism. Uh, well, that, so, yeah. that classic, yeah. That classic. <laughs> yeah, so... That's, uh, ZSJ's next move name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <looks> like terrorism. <laughs> so, yeah, G-Money taps out, which obviously was pretty kind of gutting, really. Like, it's bad enough to, to like, see your, your wrestler be pinned, that like, a guy that you've pinned your hopes on and they've told this long story with. But obviously the pain that he was going through was so much that, that he taps out and... The security come out and they like try and help him out of the ring and Ridgeway attacks him yet again after the bell. Yeah, just so then he's getting lots of like fuck you Ridgeways. So yeah, storytelling on point. So in the match, he, he theoretically won clean, just targeted the injury a bit. Yeah. And then completed, but was just being a bit of a dick. Yeah. And then, but completed the turn afterwards. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And also, Ross, at that point, were you delighted because you knew it was going to be a hill face final? Yeah, there was a little bit of me that was like, yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than the money banks final you wanted that would have been face-face. <laughs> you spent 10 minutes at least trying to come up with a pun for... I know. No, I said this Saturday. <laughs> money v. Banks. There's got to be a good pun in there. Listeners, tell us what the pun is. And it's not money in the banks. This is already hard enough. Phrasing. Before you start. <laughs> it was. Everyone you asked said that first. Yes, I know. <laughs> it isn't, is it? There's a better pun out there. Someone's gonna get it. Ridgeway in the banks. <laughs> <laughs> and the final Ross? What was the final act? Uh the final was amazing. So Ridgeway is having his name announced by Miller, and as he announces his name, he attacks banks, like kind of blindsides him. Uh, so straight away exemplifying the fact that he's now a heel. So like for the first like two or three minutes, Banks wrestles with like his ring jacket on and they're like outside the ring and he's targeting the uh, shoulder, obviously injury that he's got throughout the whole tournament. There's quite a few spots where Ridgeway kind of throws Banks into like the chairs surrounding the ring. They go onto the ramp. He gets brain busted on the ramp and Ridgeway tries to win by count out. And it's like that kind of classic slow crawl to the ring and gets in at nine, which got everyone kind of behind Banks. Then the story basically was that Banks, his arm was just giving out on him. So, you know, normally they do those kind of forearm strikes where the crowd can go like, yay, boo, yay, boo, (laughs) doing all that. Ridgeway's strikes were flush and Banks's were getting weaker and weaker and weaker. It was like a real cool, like storytelling of like, yeah, he can't use his arm. And obviously Ridgeway knew that and he was targeting the arm the whole time. And there was a few hope spots for Banks, but it was kind of becoming more and more obvious that maybe Ridgeway's winning this. And annoyingly, like about a quarter of the ballroom started chanting for Ridgeway because you have to cheer the boos, uh, because you have to cheer the heels, obviously. To be fair, though, Ridgeway has always had quite a solid corner of Northern fans. He has, yeah, yeah. Not that they should be cheering when, when he's being that outright of a heel, but yeah. I remember like before Brum having an issue with the uh, cheering of Ridgeway when he was a face. Like, there's always been a corner that love him. Yeah, 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 definitely for sure. And then uh, Banks took two penalty kicks to like the 
chest and kicked out a one, which obviously gets the big pop and being like, come on, Banks. And obviously it's day three. Crowd at times were tired, but fair play to like Dom. He was particularly like invested in this match and like he was he was getting behind Banks and that was making us kind of join Dom's kind of excitement for it. Great storytelling. He was really fighting from underneath. But then, yeah, basically the, the kicks of Ridgeway just got too much and he took three kicks where he wasn't moving. He was just like led on the floor and he was basically taking those like Randy Orton kicks to the head. Right. He took three of those. Ridgeway just rolled him over and pinned him one, two, three. And yeah, like I was fuming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but like in a good way, um, similar to what I was saying about Cara Noir ending day two in that kind of deflated, weird atmosphere. But there was a slight difference here where Chris Ridgeway, um, weirdly actually, just to backtrack, before the match, security came along to everyone on the front row and gave them streamers and were like, throw them at the end. So you were like, Banks is in. Yeah, we were like, well, that's that done. <laughs> and they did as they were told. And even though Ridgeway won, they put the streamers in. And Ridgeway went straight up to the ring and got a chair. And I assumed that like, oh, I was going to be an- another chair attack. But what he did was he sat the chair over Banks and sat on the chair with the progress title, like cross-armed and like kind of like that kind of like cocky, I'm the man type thing. And I've just buried your hero. Did you um, throw a streamer? No, didn't get as far back as us, mate. No, New Pete. <laughs> new Pete did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then that was like a pretty deflating end. Pyro went off for Ridgeway on the ramp and he left backstage and like left under like the rubble of streamers was banks and obviously people started doing the banks warren banks chant trying to get him to like come to but he's obviously fucked gene money comes out with two crutches barely able to walk gets in the ring like struggles to get him to his feet banks is crying money's crying and they hug and like the crowd is uh, chanting like this is progress and then they kind of bid farewell into the sunset with Money injured and Banks gave quite a cool tweet. I don't know if you saw it last night where he was like, this one's hard to take. I'm honestly not sure where where I go from here. So you've got your two heroes kind of on the, on the downer, but a hill champion that's put them to the sword. So you've built your story there basically already. And I think it's going to be quite interesting what happens with Luke Jacobs now, because I know like how you're saying that he's always been a hill. Do they go down the route of, a tag team in the future or do they go down a route of triple threat and you get the added layers of money and banks is history i but- should say from the off though luke jacobs to me is never ill he just beats people up but i know what you mean like he, like when i say he works here i mean like there is clearly a baby face in his matches that get sympathy i think it's a mixture for me in that as as ross you touched upon it when he the way he treated roy johnson after the match yes Last yeah. So was that the long game? Yeah, you might get a tease the next time they come out. I mean, like Jacobs, will, and then he'll side with Ridgeway still. Yeah. Maybe you might not even get the tease. Maybe just come out together and be full dicks. I don't know. But I, I, I think the two of them will continue to, to heal up. I did see something on the internet, which is probably something that we've all thought about every wrestling company in the last 25 years. But... Most wrestling companies, and this specific tweet was about progress, but I do think it applies wider. Companies thrive when there's a hateable heel on top. 
And it sounds like from the way that Ridgeway went about himself on that final day, he completely cemented himself as an arsehole. Like he beat the two top faces in progress, arguably. Uh, if you take Cara out of the equation, the two top baby faces that everyone wanted to win the title. So times could be really good. Like if we get another sort of hashtag reign of terror out of this, Ridgeway could be the guy to do that. There's nothing about Ridgeway that really screams cheer him apart from the fact he's really good at wrestling. So I could easily see him becoming as hateable as anyone in that in that venue. And hopefully that, that day three solidified that. Did you get that impression coming out, Ross, that he's going to be a, a top heel champion? Yeah, I really did, yeah. And you're spot on in terms of progress in particular. They're at their best when they have a heel champion. They seem to really struggle with a face champion. This is a different progress. It's not the same book, is it? No, no, but... The guys going might be the same guys, right? Or the same girls, guys. You know what I mean. What I mean is, like, the when you say they've struggled to write stories for a face champion, this is a different... This isn't that. This isn't the yeah. same people, is what I meant, sorry. Yeah, I would argue that Cara Noir is easily the best babyface champion in progress history. Don't take my silence as a disagreement. <laughs> I wasn't think. I wasn't. Yeah, struggling to think of any. I th- I think you can apply it to every wrestling company. I know you're saying particularly progress, and I'm not going to argue that. But I think generally speaking, most promotions would prefer to book around a heel champion than they would book around a face champion. So, a question for you guys: Let's say. Warren Banks is out for a little bit. Gene Money is out for a little bit. You have a sort of, yeah, Cara Noir's bang, he's not a factor. You've got Spike, he's not going to be challenging Chris Ridgeway. Who's your baby faces who wrestle Chris Ridgeway at the moment, do you think? Like the biggest baby faces, I'd say, outside of those two, or probably as big as those two, are your tag champs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your, your women's champ. You could spin off any of them tag lads, to be fair. I think Doris would be over as rover as a babyface going for that belt. Yeah. I'd say, Ben, you've got, I mean, if I think just for just based on the tournament, like Malik's a heel. Yeah. Most of the, because uh, a few imports in there. I mean, the CPF guys don't quite seem ready as much as I think Newman is. You'd need a couple of wins to heat him up. If you're going for a challenger for Ridgeway on the next show, for example, we've got quite a lot of shows coming up. Any predictions who it might be? Or do you think there might be someone they bring in? Well, who's the guy they've announced? Nick Wayne? Is he a good guy? I don't know anything about Nick Wayne. He's like 16, isn't he? And maybe they give him Takashita. Nick Wayne's yeah. coming over to the actual, like, full fat, though, not the little tour. <laughs> <laughs> I can see them definitely doing Takashita against Ridgeway. That would be great. I think Ridgeway just... I, I really am up for Ridgeway just being shit out of some imports as well, though. Just to announce himself as, like, legit, because... Do you know what? Like you say that James about him beating guys on the roster now, and I, I think that's a completely fair. But do you not think Ridgeway, like he's probably wrestled everyone on that roster, and we've seen it. Him beating shit out of imports we like is probably going to get him more heat. No, no, than beating I, Callum Newman. No, I agree with you because I don't think Callum Newman's. Uh, like, I'm picking Callum Newman out of a hat, but you know what I mean. Though. No, no, what I mean is I don't think there's anyone. I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't think I've missed anyone. Anyone positioned as babyface? If I'm taking money and banks as they're injured. And they might not be. They might get kayfabe. But what I'm saying is, even if you put Banks as champion and we did the face version, I don't think you have to bring the imports in. I think there's enough guys knocking around the roster that you can you can feed guys to Banks. But I think with Ridgeway, you can actually just feed him imports. No, I'm completely. I, I know. Yeah. I'm completely yeah. agreeing with you. I'm, I'm saying it, and that will give. Once he's doing that, it gives you the time to build up your Callum Newman. Or your, oh right, yeah. Sorry, I, 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 I'm completely on the same page as you. So yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah, I think yeah. you make a great point. Yeah, but him 
having a couple of months of import challenges, whilst baby, well, money and banks heal up or, you know, you build up someone else to come up through the ranks or, you know, I think that'd be perfect. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And there's also the potential for a bit of a two-man power trip as well. Yes, yep. please. Also, how cool would it be if, like, two months down the line, Jacobs and Ridgeway just went, fuck it, we want Sunshine Machine? Well, exactly. Alan called him out on Twitter. Oh, yeah, I know Ethan Allen's trying to get involved, but I don't know when he's back. But those other two lads are, like, killing it right right now. So, like, yeah. Yeah, but my my main takeaway was that it was three days of some of my best mates watching some of my best wrestlers. And, yeah, I loved it, but I can't do two strong styles in one year. I'm so glad it's one a year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks for, for summing up day three and for some good, uh, good conversation there. I, really, I, I had quite a lot of questions coming out of it and uh, it's nice to discuss them and, and get some, uh, some feedback of what happened and then some thoughts of what might happen down the line. Do you want to finish with uh, a book of bingo? B-I-N-G-O and bingo was his name-o. And this week's winner, I don't know if Phil might have lost that last 10 minutes of audio, but um, yeah, the winner was JCH. We were running. Sorry, guys. Let's, uh, you know, screw me the last two weeks. It'll come back to haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, got anything you want to plug? Matt, did you want to do the Forest Hayes thing? Yeah, we can go another week on Forest Hayes. Like, he's, he's great. I, I bought his merch. He's got some really fantastic stuff. Jones, I know you're a fan. We spoke about this before, but... I saw your T-shirt, you wanna... yeah. Yeah, I wore the T-shirt out Saturday to Super Strong Style. Um, I spoke to Joe Lando about Forrest Hayes, and like he was saying he's next in line, apparently. That's a that's a scoop that no one who goes Ignite is going to listen to this anyway, so it's fine. But um, Joe Lando's next in line to face Forrest Hayes. So that will that'll put butts in seats in Bournemouth Woods, because that's a big match. So yeah, they could do with winning some gold so we can buy us some new clothes. Exactly. <laughs> so um yeah support Forest Hayes man like he uh he was really good weren't he James like I, I'm glad you're on to give him a bit of love as well and I'm glad uh, he I'm was so great I, to, I really enjoyed his uh his act and um yeah and the whole of Ignite like I probably you know go on about him too much for like just the local promotion but yeah they're really good so yeah hopefully Forest Hayes gets better soon and if we if we stick that for one more week Ross that'd be amazing no worries man and then a cheap plug for ourselves. I was on the Apron Bump podcast last week, That's reviewing Progress Chapter 20, which is available on uh, SoundCloud and Spotify, iTunes, and also YouTube, on YouTube yeah. um, if you want to watch the video. And I believe this week or potentially next week, uh, Apron Bump will be releasing the, the episode that they did with Dom which was, I don't know the exact Ring of Honor pay-per-view, but I'm assuming it's like a 2002-era type Ring of Honor show. Awesome. Also, we'll, we'll, we'll air our business on air. Uh, I'm sure Carl's going to come on soon, Ross, right? Yeah, that's long overdue, actually. He hasn't been on for a while, has he? So, yeah, let's definitely get Carl back on. He's only got one appearance. He's only got one cap. <laughs> yeah. I, gave cap. I, gave, I gave him a cap. I thought, uh, as a host, <laughs> but uh, yeah. he's down there with Mitch, who's a one-cap wonder. 
<laughs> he's got to get he's got to get two caps ahead of ahead of uh you know some of some of the one cap wonders. Like Carl, <laughs> Carl's been a big supporter, and obviously he's got like like you say Ross and Dom on his so. And obviously we want to plug uh, at wrestling should be fun on Instagram. Tom Van Dam doing a great job. Really enjoyed um, following it along on the days I couldn't make until he'd had too many beers and it sort of slowed down a bit, which I always enjoy because you can tell how many beers Dom's had based on how much uh, content. <laughs> much content. I, don't even, but I don't even say that as mate. Dom Van Dam's Instagram stories for those days are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You everything you get from Twitter from those stories. He's really fantastic at catching the action. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not following the Instagram, do so for the live shows because Dom does an animation job. Yeah, and it's so, it's so hard to do. Like I say to sort of know when to get things and he's really right on it. And yeah, fair play to him. And maybe it's like what towards the end, he's just a bit more fully invested and rather than he's had a few drinks because it's, you know, when you are fully invested, you don't want to be always capturing content, but he does do that for, for everyone, which is a yeah, great job. I, I do. I've, having tried to do it a couple of times, I'd terrible at it so fair play to him <laughs> and then nice. we're, we're running the twitter yeah on twitter at wsbfun absolutely cannot seem to get over the 15k line keep on gaining 50 losing 50 gaining 50 losing 50 so if any of your friends can help us get those extra 100 followers that would be great <laughs> long term long term feud ross we'll pay it off don't worry <laughs> yeah maybe get kid like us too to follow us <laughs> <laughs> We well, got progress recently, Ross. Right, that was a big one. Yeah, got got, got progress and um, Robbie X. Good old Robbie X. Loves <laughs> loves a kebab. Yeah, you did. Like, I went back to Winnie's Grill on Saturday and there's six at twelve thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Still got half of it in my fridge. We ordered for four, platter for four between three drunk idiots. <laughs> Shout out Winnie's Grill. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I think that will uh, that will probably do it. Thanks very much for uh, for coming on, lads. And yeah, really enjoyed uh, catching up and uh, getting a chat about about the graps, especially Progress's big weekend, and they smashed it. So thanks very much for having us. Drink on some water and look after your mates. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun.